Today is Vision Sunday, and we're going to be talking all about who we are about and what we're about. Who we're about and what we're about. So as we do that, let's pray together. So Father, we bow in your presence, and we invite you to speak clearly, and not just in an informational way, but in a transformational way. So we invite your work in our life, beginning in my life but in each life that's listening, whether they're somewhere over the internet or if they're here in the building. And so we pray these things and we ask them in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Frederick Bruckner is a well-known author and highly developed intellectual. He's well into his 90s now, but he grew up in a very sophisticated community on the east coast of the United States, in a very non-religious, secular community. And against all odds, against every odd, he came to Jesus and gave his life to Jesus in an East Coast church in that community. And he had abilities when he was a young man that was off the charts. Everything was possible for him. He was highly intelligent, highly gifted, and he chose to go to seminary and become a minister. And this was deeply traumatic for the people in his little world who were totally confused and off-put by this person that had every opportunity in life, every capacity in life, that he would choose to do this. And he was at a dinner party... And a very well-educated woman, in a very condescending way, looked at him and said, was this your own idea, or were you poorly advised? And he said nothing because he knew she couldn't hear him and didn't have the capacity to understand the answer, even if he'd given it. But what he wrote about that was, it wasn't my idea at all. It was a lump in my throat. It was an itching. It was a stirring in the blood. It was a name when I wrote it down. I knew it was a name worth dying for. And that is the name Jesus. And Frederick Bruckner understood that Jesus will give you a purpose worth living for and a hope worth dying for. And I ask you, do you have something in your life that's worth dying for? Something that's bigger than you. Something that is beyond you. Something that you can give your life to. For Jesus, this is all expressed, and this is Jesus' words, not mine, in his church. His church is his idea. It's his legacy. It's his family. And Jesus taught, where else in the world can you go where people can learn the value of every human life created in the image of God, where else in the world can they go and hear and receive the forgiveness of their sins? Where else can they hear about the sure promise of resurrection? Where else can they hear about the demands of God's holy justice? And he is a holy and a just God. Where else can they hear about the triumph of God's ultimate purposes? And today we're going to talk about the beauty of the church. And we're going to talk about 
University Drive Alliance Church, UDAC as we like to call it, and why it's here. And so if you have your Bible or your device, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of Matthew, first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus is hanging out with his leadership team. We call them the disciples or the apostles, people that he's gathered. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. And Jesus is speaking with them, and he says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? He's speaking about himself now. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked them. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, he always spoke for the group, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus promises that he will build his church. The tribal religions of Islam, uh, the Buddha, Hinduism, and all the others like it, and the philosophical schools that were birthed in Greece and so forth, none of them had ever said anything like this. This is a unique standalone statement. Jesus is saying, I will build my church into an all-inclusive community of love and forgiveness where we will not just tolerate people, but we will embrace everyone. This is incredibly radical stuff for him to say in that society. We will embrace every nationality, male, female, every culture, young, rich, old, Jew, Gentile, Roman, barbarian. A community that would have at its heart its mission, not about enriching its own members, but a call for those members to sacrifice themselves for the enriching of people outside of the family of God, to bring the knowledge of God to everyone, the justice of God to the oppressed, the generosity of God uh, to every person with needs, the grace of God that each person needs for the forgiveness of their sins. And we would be called to do this with a humility that sets us deeply apart from everyone around us, with a courage that would overwhelm the authorities arrayed against them at that time. This idea never in history thought of before or since. Jesus thought it up. It originates with him. And it's interesting to me <laughs> that in the modern day, in our modern culture, we like to think of ourselves as the most innovative generation ever right now. Here's my challenge right now. Let's say you're a carpenter and you have no resources. You don't have two nickels to rub together. I'm going to challenge you to create a movement that started 2,000 years ago, that would live for thousands of years, that would launch more hospitals, 
more research universities, more relief organizations that would inspire more art than anything else in human history, that would spread to every continent, every culture, would attract billions of followers. And my question would be, what would your plan be? What would your plan be? Jesus the carpenter, whatever you might think about him, as a matter of historical fact, did all of that. And he loved, and he taught, and he healed, and he died on a cross for you. And 500 eyewitnesses, how do we know anything is true in history? 500 eyewitnesses all said he rose from the dead, and for that singular belief, and all they had to do was recant of that belief, but for that singular belief over a long period of time, most every one of them lost their jobs, their homes, their family, their freedom, and their life. And all they had to do was recant, and they didn't. This passage in Mark, at Matthew 16 is the first time the disciples get a glimpse of how big Jesus really is. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the son of the living God. And his project is the church. And he puts all of his eggs in one basket. Not my words, the words of Jesus. He builds something that no one had ever thought of before or since. And he calls for and he requires total sacrifice of time, of money, of resources, of energy, of dreams. He says, people will laugh at you. People will persecute you because of me. It will decidedly move you out of your comfort zone. And if you haven't been moved out of your comfort zone by Jesus, you're not really listening. You'll need to be an all-in kind of person who trusts all in, who has faith, and you will be hated, Jesus says, because of me. Was this your idea, or were you just poorly advised? I believe this is a call worth living for. I believe this is a call worth dying for. This, <laughs> this living for money approach to life or living to just make a name for yourself or living to just build a resume is awfully small and rather insignificant, trivial by comparison. The church belongs to Jesus and we are Jesus' church. We love him, we study him, we emulate him, we're empowered by him, we follow him, we point other people to him. We have one big purpose at UDAC, and that is to reach, teach, and equip people to know, love, and serve him. This is what we're all about. We're all about helping people find and follow Jesus. This is our call. This is who we are. We do not back or shirk away from that in any way. Now, it's really interesting to me because if you've been around church much, you know that churches can be really messed up. The attenders can be very messed up. 
The leaders can be very messed up. They can be dysfunctional. They can be unhealthy. They can be needy people. I ought to know this because for years now, my wife has been saying that guy that she's married is just like that. But in the midst of what can be chaos at times, Jesus is building his church. And it's often in unseen secret places. It's almost always at the margins. We are absolutely completely at the margins in the culture today. Seen by many as the enemy. Seen by many as people that they need to put down. It's there for those who mourn. It's there for the uneducated. It's there for the intellectual elites. It's typically largely done through unpaid volunteers. It's through people nobody thinks is important. And it says that in the book. He likes to use weak people. Just look at the disciples he picked. No respectable rabbi ever has or ever since would have picked a crew like that. Not a chance. He likes to use people like me and people like you. You know, it's interesting to me with the death of our queen in these last few days. Queen Elizabeth, who I believe was a sincere, deep-seated follower of Jesus Christ. Queen Elizabeth, just think with me for a second, is a great example that you can lead well and have significant influence even from inside an institution that many do not support. Think about that. The rock of her life, the one she served, you've read the quotes online, our queen would bow down to her king every day. What will this church be like that Jesus promises to build? Well, what did Jesus teach? Three great truths, they're at the core of our identity as a church at UDAC. And the first one is this, everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. In Jesus' day, just like in our day, certain people were welcome at the temple and many people weren't welcome at the temple. Some people were only welcome to part of the temple. I've been to where the temple is, and it's still very much true today. I've been there a few times. And it's very much that way in the culture today. And so what Jesus taught and modeled scandalized the culture. Because he would love, he would embrace, he would talk with, he would eat with anybody that would come to him. Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans, lepers, unclean beggars, slaves, Tax collectors who were the most hated people in that society, Roman soldiers, paralytics, prostitutes, and the demon-possessed. And he was incredibly famous and well-known for this. So much so that his opponents, his enemies, the people that wanted to kill him, had to grudgingly admit this about him. It says in Matthew 22, Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you, know, you pay no attention to who they are. There was no favorites with Jesus. No partiality at all. In Luke 15, they said, This guy actually welcomes sinners 
and eats with them. Again, no respectable rabbi would ever do that. And this is really at the heart of why they murdered him. It's interesting that in his last recorded sermon, uh, speech rather, the last things he was saying, who was he talking to? He's dying on a cross for things he didn't do. And he begins to dialogue with a criminal who's hanging on a cross beside him dying. And this guy's life is changed in one of the most profound conversions in all of the Bible. Why would you give your life to somebody that apparently has completely lost? There was something about Jesus. And so this guy says to Jesus, Jesus, I'm going to step aside from everything I've ever known in life. And I'm asking you to remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, hey, that's awesome. You're in. Today, you and I are going to be in heaven together. That's cool stuff. And so this odd little community of the church said, as his followers, we will emulate him. And so one of the things they'd seen him do was, again, something unthinkable. He takes a towel and basin and washes their feet, and he becomes their slave. This is mind-boggling stuff. Nobody would ever done something like this because slaves had no standing in that society. The lowest of the low, you could abuse, torture, kill your slave, whatever you wanted to do to them. And so what do the followers of Jesus do? They emulate the work of Jesus, the actions of Jesus, so much so that one of the deep opponents of the church, Aristides, the Greek philosopher, writes this, any slave they may have among them, they persuade to become Christian because of their love towards them. They become brothers without discrimination. This is how the church was known. In the ancient world as well, they had absolutely no use for the poor, thought they were less than less. What did Jesus say about the poor? Blessed are the poor. He said to the rich young ruler, when the rich young ruler says, could I follow you, Jesus? He understood intrinsically about the rich young ruler that he was one of those people that had that warped thinking that thought life is all about money. And so Jesus says to him, if you want to follow me because money is everything to you, go and sell everything you own, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And so the church emulated him, and they welcomed the poor. Another emperor, dead set against the Christian church, writes this, I think that when the poor were overlooked by our own priests, the impious Galileans, which means Christians, the impious Galileans noticed this and devoted themselves to generosity. They support not only their own poor, but ours as well, as everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. We, one of the credos of our church is we want to be known as a place that's into giving rather than taking. This is how we want to be known in our community. And so there was a day when a group of people loved God, loved each other, and loved the world so much that the world and all of history was changed. Galatians 3.28, 
Paul says this, he says, there is now in Christ neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. What does this mean at UDAC? Who is welcome at UDAC? Everyone is welcome in our church. Poor, rich, black, white, young, old, liberal, conservative, NDP, atheist, agnostic, skeptic, likable people, unlikable people, biblical believers, Jesus followers, Muslim, Hindu, depressed, happy, married, single, divorced, got it together. You came here today because you were excited to come and you love Jesus or you're only here because you couldn't think of a way to get out of it. You are welcome here. And if you need help, it's not an accident that you're here. The God who loves you has drawn you here. It was planned because Jesus is building his church. And so UDAC is a church where everyone is welcome and absolutely every one of us needs him. And if you're a follower of Jesus and this is your church, that means that you have a heart that says welcome. And if you claim to be a follower of Jesus and you don't have a heart that says welcome, let me just say that Jesus wants to forgive your sin as well. And he wants to change your life. He builds his church one person at a time, one convert, one life at a time. Every person you come in contact in this room or when you go to buy groceries or gas or go to school or work, every person you come in contact matters to God. Jesus died for them and they matter to the living holy God. And so his plan is pretty simple, actually. It's that each person that claims to be his follower would be a little agent of love because he knows there's people all around us that are aching for someone to care for them and aching to have a spiritual conversation. Not all of them, but many of them. So another big thing that Jesus modeled and taught is that nobody's perfect. Everybody's welcome, but also nobody's perfect. Jesus taught that in comparison to God, nobody is perfect. Now, this is really important to understand because religious communities have this way of dividing people up into the good guys and the bad guys, the insiders and the outsiders. And Jesus, again, is famous for teaching stuff no one has ever taught before or since. And so he would teach things like this. The goodness, true goodness, is not even a matter of outward behavior, rather. It's not ever a matter of outward behavior, but rather a transformed heart. And that only God can transform a heart. That's why he says in Mark 10, no one is good except God alone. Every other religious system whether it's humanism or Hinduism or Buddhism or the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses, I don't care which one you pick, every one of them will teach you, you must do it yourself. You must earn your way. And Jesus uniquely teaches the exact opposite. That in his new community, that he is building, there is no hiding, there is no pretending, 
We openly confess, I cannot earn my way to God. I can never do it myself. I'm hopelessly separated from God. And that is why Jesus came. And that is why the cross. The cross. At UDAC, you will hear about the cross all the time. You will be invited to the cross. The cross is where Jesus cleans up all those who are not perfect. Me and you. Each of us, the Bible says, has a sin problem, a pride problem, a morality problem, an anger problem, whatever. Isaiah 53 says, all of us have like sheep have gone astray, and God has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Every single person needs God, needs his forgiveness, purchased at the cross. And so the question you will hear in many different ways, but all around the same point, has the cross changed your life? Apart from the grace of God offered to us by Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. And what I'm about to say, I know flies totally in the face of the culture today. This is a completely countercultural statement. I make it because it's true. Apart from the grace of God, humanity's fate is brokenness, fallenness, inadequacy, guilt, judgment, death, and hell. This is what you will hear. In this church, you will always hear about the cross at UDAC, that Jesus is our only hope. Our only hope. The third big one that Jesus modeled and taught, especially, uh, he did it during his lifetime, but especially after the coming of the Holy Spirit and his power, is this one, anything's possible. Anything is possible. In Matthew 19, 26, he looks at them, it says, and said, with man, this is impossible. See, all this stuff I'm talking about, if we just try to do it in our strength, it's a total crash and burn. Church would have been gone so long ago. It wouldn't have even lasted one generation. It would have been completely gone. You try to do it in your own strength, you can put on a show, nothing of value takes place. With man... This is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So in the main text, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, and I'm going to use you, Peter, as an integral part in building my church. And all the disciples were thinking, Peter? He's going to use Peter? Peter who sank when he got out of the boat? Peter, whose mouth always got him into trouble. If you read that Matthew 16 passage, just a couple of verses after he says this about Peter, Peter shoots off his mouth like he commonly did, and Jesus actually says to him, get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me. Peter blew it all the time. Peter, who said, I'm going to die with you, Jesus. The moment they came to arrest Jesus, Jesus ran. Uh, Peter ran for his life and ended up denying him three times that night before the sun came up. But you see, with God, anything is possible. Because then, 50 days after that, Peter is filled with the Spirit. 
And when he's filled with the Spirit, when he used to run away and deny Christ, now filled with the Spirit, he gets up and he preaches, and thousands come to Christ. And he died a martyr's death for Jesus. We're told historically that he was crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worthy to die the same way Jesus died. Or we know the story of the greedy tax collector who was a thief and cheated everyone. And he collected taxes as a Jewish person. He collected taxes from the Jews for the Romans. And he would take a cut and cheat everybody. Zacchaeus has a personal encounter with Jesus. His life is completely changed. And he becomes a poster boy for generosity. And then Jesus in John 4 sits down with the woman at the well who's been married five times and is currently shacked up with some Samaritan guy. She's a Samaritan, rather. And uh, Jesus completely changes her life. Life is totally changed. She goes into town. She invites the entire community to come out and meet with Jesus. The greatest enemy of Jesus in the church, the one who was arresting all the Christians, having them tortured, having them killed, has an encounter with Jesus on the Damascus road, and Saul the murderer becomes the greatest champion of Jesus, builds churches all over Asia, and writes most of the New Testament. And on and on and on I could go. And then we jump forward to 1939, where God used a few people, starting with two women, Mavis Anderson and Mary Reese, who God brought to southern Alberta and to Lethbridge, and they began doing child evangelism classes in Lethbridge. They started small and moved and became 12 different homes and two different schools, And many, many children came to Christ. And a year later, this led to a little church over a dance hall being formed. And the people in that little church prayed and served and gave and loved and shared Jesus. And over the years, there were some very difficult years. Many people, many people thought that church was done, that church is going to close, that church will never make it. But God had other plans, and because of those early people's faithfulness, when sometimes they would come and pray all night, it is now UDAC today. A church that sent many into ministry, into missions, that's planted a church, that's helped many church plants, where hundreds have come to Christ, where many, many have been baptized, and today, it's our turn. So maybe you're here today, and you're just exploring Jesus, exploring the faith. Don't even know if he's real, not sure if there's a God. Well, I just welcome you here. I encourage you to go for it, ask your questions, take your time. This is a safe place where you can do that. But if you're here and you follow Jesus already, and UDAC is your church home, I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you to get into real community, a place where you can be real and grow and help other grow, others grow. I'm going to ask you to stop being a chronic visitor. It's time to stop being a chronic visitor and step up. I'm asking you to roll up your sleeves and serve. Out in the lobby, there's a big table there with all the different ministries where there's opportunities for you to serve. 
We're going to be back to two services here very soon. We need you to serve here in the church and out in the community. And I'm going to ask you to love God and trust him up enough to be very generous with your resources, to give and to give sacrificially like Bible teaches. I'm going to challenge you to give and to tithe and to give 10% right off the top and then go on giving from there. And remember all the time, you cannot outgive God. And I'm going to ask you to do all those things and other things, all in the anything's possible spirit of Jesus. And my question is, are you in? What if we prayed and served and dreamed and loved and pointed people to Jesus and God kept building that we would continue to be known as a place at great sacrifice, a place that is known for giving rather than taking. We do that all the time. There isn't a week that goes by that we're not doing it probably multiple times. A place where we're more known for what we are for than what we're against. A place where we will do a second service very soon, and then a third service, and then another site. That will send out missionaries and do missions trips. There's another one coming next year. Where we will, in a very selfless way, bring students to faith. Help them grow up in Jesus in order that we cannot keep them here for ourselves, but send them out and let God put them in the place in the world, wherever that happens to be, where they can help grow the church there. And we've already done this in different ways. I think of Nigeria this morning. I think of Niger, where we've had the privilege to do that and places, other places as well where we would identify and train and release people that God calls into vocational ministry, where we would continue to partner with Chinese Alliance Church here in town and a number of church plants in the years that I've been here. And have I would love to see multiple churches meeting in our building. There's been times when we've had three, I can't remember if it was four, but three for sure. We only have two right now. I think we need more. We want to keep using this building where we bring refugees. Sophie will be the first refugee. Not sure when she's coming. We're cutting, trying to cut through the red tape. But I would pray that Sophie will be the first of many. That we would be feeding the hungry with food for learning and hamburger that we give out and pancakes that we serve. That we would help the under-resourced and baptize dozens and dozens more. Jesus will build his church he authorized it, he launched it, he resourced it, he got it going when this idea was completely unheard of. He continues to superintend it. Bear in mind, no matter what you hear, you, what you think you might believe, Jesus has no plan B. If you don't agree, read the book. He has no intention of letting it go. The gates of hell will not prevail. This is the ministry you are called to. It's bigger than you. It's eternal. And I ask you, are you in?